0: A year ago, the world changed completely. We really weren't sure what businesses were gonna thrive or really, let's be honest, survive. So I wanted to know how entrepreneurs and organizations were positively pivoting their businesses in this unknown world. Now it's been a year and people are continuing to thrive and come up with unique ways to have their business and have their organization do the things that they used to, but just a little bit differently. Welcome to season two of Coping 19. It's starting to feel like we can breathe again a little bit. And that's because as of last week, here in BC, Canada, in Vancouver, specifically where I'm recording from, We were able to have no limits on how many people we could go to a restaurant with. The restaurants could be full capacity again. Uh, We could drop the masks if we want to, even though uh, everywhere I went, either bus or restaurant or small event, everyone had a mask on, which actually I feel good about it because let's be honest, I haven't been sick for over a year or more since the pandemic started Uh, None of those icky common colds. And I think that's because I've been wearing a mask and washing my hands. And let's be honest, probably in the fall, when I start riding the bus again, I'm going to be wearing a mask during cold and flu season because being on a bus during cold and flu season is just disgusting. You know what I mean, if you've ever ridden on one during that time. But that's besides the point. What I want to do with this podcast now is still look at different businesses and different entrepreneurs, because we've been in it for such a long time now. And now as we're starting to get out of the pandemic, The world is going to be forever changed. And how is your business going to continue to grow? One industry that has really interested me during this whole time is the tech field. And most importantly, medical tech, because that just seems like an indestructible industry at the moment. Like if there's a time for it to thrive, it's now. But every business still has its hurdles to leap over just like this next company I'm going to tell you about. It's called Avricor. They are a medical health company. They are a tech medical health company. On today's show, I have Hector Bremner, chief executive officer at Avricor. I'm really excited to talk to them about their product health tab, learn more what that is and what it's all about. And we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes about it. But Hector has an amazing background He wasn't always in the tech medical field. He's been in politics. He's been in marketing. The list goes on. I am going to let him tell you his life story in just a minute. But now he's working for Avricor. And what do they do? Well, they do many things. And rapid testing is one of them, which could definitely help out the travel industry. And again, we're going to talk about that in a second. Because if you haven't heard today... Well, if you are traveling back into Canada and you're a Canadian citizen, you don't need to quarantine now for 14 days, but you have to have been double vaccinated. And then you don't need to quarantine, but you do need to get yourself a test, a negative test before you enter back into Canada. So we're going to talk all about this with Hector Bremner, but like always, we always start at the beginning because everybody has a story before the job that we talk about here on the show. There's always a journey. So Hector, please start it off. Who are you? And what was your journey to get yourself to Chief Executive Officer at Avricor?
1: It's been sort of an interesting journey for me. I never really thought I would work in healthcare for sure, given my lack of qualifications uh and uh, you know i i've had a, a great career i've really been fortunate that i've got to work in several different fields and you know i started in, in communications and in operations and um had my own company for a long time here in vancouver and got to consult with many great businesses and helping people develop their story and that sort of got me into politics and uh, I ended up working for the BC government. I was the assistant to the Minister of International Trade and then a, an advisor to the Deputy Premier. And then after working in government, which was an amazing experience and uh, an amazing learning experience, I uh, worked in back in the private sector uh, in public affairs, so working on uh, government relations issues and, and matters of public policy and I uh, and, and eventually was uh, elected myself uh, here in Vancouver uh, municipally, and then post that I was taking some much needed some time off to try to you know think about what I wanted to do when I grow up. And a good friend of mine had asked me to get involved with Avacore Health. It was a company that they had established not too far uh, beforehand, and they uh, really wanted to uh, drill down on. Um, some of the things that were going to make them successful. I and mean, one of those products was HealthTab. And uh, that's a, a product that uh, we focus on today. And um, and I, I helped shape that a little bit. And eventually, uh, they asked me to take over the current role. And uh, it's been an exciting year and a half. I can't believe a year and a half has gone by, but um, it's there's... Uh, There's definitely a book to be written just about this last 18 months, let me tell you.
0: I feel like everyone is going to have like a bestseller from this year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all the survival guides. How many survival guides can you think of?
0: Yeah, survival guides for dealing with the pandemic. How many books are going to be written about the pandemic or movies? Because I've already started to see movies coming up around the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, too soon to do that subject matter. It's like we're still living through it. Anyways, we could go on a tangent about this all day. And I want to get to exactly what Avicor does and what their product HealthTab is. So take it away.
1: HealthTab is a platform. It's a turnkey solution for what they call cognitive services or clinical services in the pharmacy. So it, we work with third-party analyzer manufacturers, uh, companies like uh, Avid Diagnostics and uh, a BAXis out of California. And they have high-quality blood chemistry analyzers that usually live in laboratories or remote hospitals or uh, even the military uses them. But they are essentially laboratory-grade devices that um, are low-volume. So if you go to a laboratory, usually there's one machine that's doing like hundreds of tests at a time. But these do one test at a time. And so high-quality machines. And so what we do is we modify them to be web-enabled and we network them all over the cloud and we put them in pharmacies and pharmacists are uh, very trusted health professionals and uh, their pharmacy practice has been changing dramatically uh, just due to consumer demand and regulations and a variety of things where you know people are turning away from the family physician model and taking and more direct agency uh, in their healthcare, meaning they want their information and they want to be able to um, take a more proactive role in their health. So the pharmacist is there to support that, and so we provide them the technology to do this. So uh, you you can go into a pharmacy, uh, you get a simple uh, blood test done. Uh, It's just a finger stick. Uh, It's run on the analyzer there on site. And that information, once the analyzer is done running the test, sends you uh, your results uh, with some advice and some um, uh, information around some of your risks uh, to yourself. And it sends it also to your uh, pharmacist. Uh, And the uh, bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish here is a global network um, of pharmacies reporting back real-time information on treated populations, uh, ensuring that more early detection and screening and evidence-based healthcare is being delivered in the pharmacy uh, and empowering pharmacists to do that work, but also that uh, we will have an element within the system that allows for government, researchers, uh, insurers, uh, and and also drug companies to use the platform for clinical trials and real-world evaluations Which are now mandated as a part of drug approvals and and other uh, required regulatory wise um, screening processes that they they must do. Um, It is higher quality information, it's better information, and we think it's going to equal better services for patients, better uh, therapies for patients, and um, much better outcomes for patients. So uh, we try to provide this platform, as I say, for. Each of the 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 three parties here—patient, the healthcare team, and researchers—to come together on a single platform and drive better healthcare outcomes.
0: That's great. It also seems like something that would be really great further north. Like I used to live up north for my radio career, and I just feel like in the more remote communities, this would be a great idea.
1: Yeah, northern and indigenous communities are um, uh, a big focus for us, and we, we look forward to expanding there this year and coming years. And you know, there's a real need and an imbalance. It depends on what community you live in and in terms of what kind of healthcare services you can access. And so technology is really changing quickly to make um, analytics and testing and screening even easier and more cost effective. And, you know, we're not doing the genetics works, for example, like 23andMe or Ancestry or something like that. There's a lot of companies um, doing that work. Uh, They call it pharmacogenomics. A long word, but basically just means uh, tailoring drugs to your, your own DNA, which makes them more effective because you and I could take the same medication and get completely different results. It's based on our genetics. But why this is important is that technology is getting to a point now where we can equalize outcomes far better. Uh, and it means you don't have to just be fortunate enough to, to live in a community with a really high quality lab and hospital infrastructure. You should be able to live just about anywhere in this day and age and receive the same type of care. So it's time to deploy it and it's time to do it now. And uh, we're, we're excited to be a part of that.
0: I'm really excited for you and the company. And I also want to know a little bit more about what Avricore is. I talked a little bit about it, but I know you're going to give me a better in-depth explanation about what Avricor really is.
1: So Evercore Health is a parent company. Uh, We're publicly traded. We're on the TSXV, and our sign is ACVR. And we are a healthcare technology company, and our primary offering is a product called HealthTab, as I described, and uh, blood chemistry and other screening services in the pharmacy setting. But primarily, we're focused on serving digital healthcare technologies in community pharmacy settings and invited to bring these innovations like HealthTab, and we're going to be growing rapidly this year, and um, we've made some exciting announcements over the last six months, and uh, we think that uh, the next six months is going to be really big for us, so keep an eye on us.
0: Oh, don't worry. We'll be watching you. Actually, that sounds really creepy, but you know what I mean. I'm really excited about this company and you guys are already doing great things. That being said, I feel like when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show, no matter what type of company you have, of course, you guys are in tech and you're in the medical field as well, which seems like a indestructible industry. But there must have been a moment during COVID when it just started like early days that you and the rest of your team members were probably like "Uh uh-oh what do we do now where are we going to go from here because there was just so much uncertainty in the world at that point
1: it had been a a really interesting time I mean we had in our case I had taken over the company we had gone it was sort of in the fall of 2019 and we're in the process of reorganizing the company and we had been negotiating behind the scenes and we're about to uh, kick off on some significant projects that we're going to finally bring uh, resources in the door for us, uh, revenues for us. And as a, as a tech company, you know, that that ramp up time, that uh, lead time uh, to getting re- to revenues is, is always a real big challenge. But we had actually closed uh, a financing uh, right when um, COVID hit and, and, and our project was about to kick off right when COVID hit. And so here we were, had a totally different game plan. And the next thing we know, everything is over everything so we had fortunately by just a miracle uh we had money but we really had uh been gutted in terms of what we thought our business development plans were going to be for the balance of the year so um, let me tell you, there is there's a story to be told about as to how, do you, how you face those challenges and, and what you do uh, when all your plans are, are just blown up one day.
0: And that's the biggest thing that a lot of businesses, And when I talk to my friends at the beginning of COVID, obviously nobody knew how long we were going to be in this for. And a lot of people are like, oh no, what do I do now and how do I pivot? I know a lot of people are getting tired of that word, but how do you pivot to keep yourself afloat and to keep the employees afloat as well, right?
1: Yeah, well, you won't read any biography of any successful person in any field and hear them say that, yeah, I just, you know, one foot in front of the other and every day was a success and I never had any failures and I never had to change directions and I never had to rethink what I was doing. I think every book, every every uh, biography like that I, I've ever read has pretty much always been the same book, you know, the stories, the dates, the times you know, the sector, the industry, they change. But, you know, the the reality is, is failing at things or things not going well, or things breaking and not working out. I think in a, most of our culture today, we, we kind of view those as, you know, terminal things. In reality, it is very natural. It's actually a very healthy part of, of regrowing your business. And for us, even as much we were Uh, totally taken off our game plan and and everything came crashing down in in terms of our strategy um, about 12 months ago, uh, we just drilled down. We knew what we had, we had to pivot to to borrow the, the phrase du jour, but we had to pivot, we had to to rethink about what we were doing and how we were doing it. We also had to really drill down on some of the principles that we had and some of our longer-term objectives. And, you know, fortunately, uh, we had a, a good break that we had the resources to sort of focus on, you know, restructuring ourselves and being ready to come out of this. And we, I had a lot of faith that we were going to come out of the summer strong. We had maintained conversations with a lot of the uh, people uh, in the uh, in customers that we were hoping to develop pre-COVID. And even though they were super busy with uh, COVID, they, as things started to level out a little bit by summer um, and the fall of last year, we were able to re-engage that. And so we came out of it even stronger, actually. And we feel like COVID is actually, in an ironic way, amplified or or just sort of turbocharged what we were doing. So a lot of the trends that we're developing beforehand were just amplified and, and pushed us forward and accelerated forward. So you know, it's still a challenging time to do business, but... Um, you know, if you, um, are willing to be flexible, you, you have the sort of star on the horizon, you know, generally where you want to go, but as long as you're willing to be flexible on how you get there, uh, that's sort of the strategy we took. And, uh, I think it's paying off.
0: I was just going to actually say that. Did you feel that COVID kind of was beneficial to you guys because you were a tech, uh, health company? Like it did sound like you had some challenges, but I would almost feel like this would be helpful in the fact that you know a lot of us are trying to figure out different ways to see people uh less like i know for my doctor she won't see anybody in person it's only on virtual so i know a lot of these different things are coming to fruition now
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely wasn't at first because a lot of our our core business of course is doing um endemic disease screening essentially in Pharmacy setting, so we have a turnkey solution where we bring in a, an analyzer and we have a software solution, and it's a total integrated solution to empower pharmacists to do more clinical services within the pharmacy. So this means more screening and evidence-based care in the pharmacy. So when COVID first hit, and some of the larger projects that we were working on at the time was it was another um, major healthcare company in, in uh, Canada. We're going to be focused on employee health and people at job sites. So overnight, people weren't at the job site anymore. And because of the restrictions, the first wave of restrictions, uh, the type of testing um, that pharmacists were doing in pharmacy using our services uh, wasn't even allowed. So just full, full stop, couldn't do it. So we were left wondering, well, okay, well, now what do you do when you're? Entire, uh, even though we're in healthcare technology, uh, for the reasons I just described, um, you know that that wasn't really COVID wasn't really doing us much of a favor, and so, but we realized pretty quickly that the power of our reporting system, the fact that we have a real-time reporting system for healthcare data, we knew right away was going to fit well with a lot of the rapid testing needs out there and other healthcare needs out there. That was going to, we were seeing data silos building up and and the infrastructure not existing for moving data inter- agency, between interagencies and, and being able to share that information with patients, healthcare teams, and other research entities in real time in, in a smooth and low administration fashion. So we, re- we came out of this. We developed some new products. We um, uh, had in, in the fall uh, announced that we partnered with Avid Diagnostics. Uh, both with uh, blood chemistry devices, focusing on our core business, uh, which is, of course, uh, providing diabetes and heart disease uh, screening services inside the pharmacy uh, with the pharmacist, but also integrating things like the ID Now, which is a molecular test for uh, COVID. uh, So meaning that the test can now be run on site and the results reported in real time. So it created new opportunities for us, and um, we think testing and travel is, is going to be a, a permanent uh, reality, and uh, our platform uh, is able to serve that. So it certainly has opened up doors, but we had to, you know, build uh, new capabilities within our system. We had to rethink about, you know, what our focuses were, and we had to be uh, responsive to the moment. And, um, you know, fortunately, in the long run, it's done really well for us.
0: Yeah, and I was reading up that that you guys are now doing uh, real-time testing for uh, COVID-19 for travelers, which you touched on my point, which I was going to bring up, is that you already said that you think it is and I, th- I agree with you i think that this is something we're always going to see um for traveling i can't see them getting rid of these even without vaccine i feel like you're gonna have to be tested you have to prove that you're good to go and i, I don't think that this is just going to be the only thing like i know in the um why the movie sector has been able to open up so fast here in Vancouver is that they're tested all the time as well like as annoying as it may be just all the time and and that's why i think that you know we're able to move forward and we're able to create um, more content
1: yeah, a hundred percent. I think that certainly at the end of last year and in the first couple of weeks of January, I think there was a little bit overconfidence of how fast the vaccine was going to get out. People thought, well, because the vaccines are arriving, that means like everybody's going to be vaccinated and COVID's over. I think the reality of distributing vaccine and even recognizing there are variants and there are going to be challenges about, you know, we have to accept the fact that some people aren't going to take the vaccine, right? So they're, they're now the, the, the big challenge for both the um, the United States and Canada is going to be convincing people to uh, take the vaccine. Uh, so, rapid testing is still going to play a, a critical role in monitoring outbreaks and getting people back to work safely, and, and making sure that you have a, a rapid response to what's happening on the ground. But further to that, a lot of what has happened over the last year has been was predicted 10 or 15 years before by those that have been working around everything from the 2003 SARS outbreak to MERS and and all kinds of other um, more regional outbreaks and, and pandemics that have occurred over the last 15, 20 years. And it's unfortunately, the infrastructure wasn't put in place in a variety of ways, but but particularly around testing to make sure that if there is an outbreak that um, you can get eyes on it really quickly, and that you can see what you're fighting. Because the problem with these these outbreaks is that you're fighting blind for you know, the first while until you affect you have an effective testing regime. And a good example of that was if you see um, I was I was there actually even just reading this morning. It was sort of like a, a retrospective almost, looking back at 12 months and looking back at what health officials at the WHO and even Canada's CDC were saying. Um, Twelve months ago, about this virus, and the key message at that point was talking about overreaction and don't don't discriminate against certain countries because there's there's an outbreak. There was a, a, a lot of this type of language, whereas uh, South Korea uh, and Japan in st- instituted testing regimes almost almost instantly. And from the very beginning, had managed to uh, maintain a good line of sight on the virus outbreak. It wasn't about being prejudicial, of course. It was certainly about being responsible. Um, they had lived through SARS. They had, they had already had these, these um, uh, outbreaks in, in that part of the world. And they knew that you have to act quickly. You have to uh, take action fast. Otherwise, it gets out of control. We need effective regimes in place and infrastructure in place to have testing and rapid response in the future if we want to avoid this happening again. And I'll simply close on this thought by saying also uh, that we are lucky that this was in 1918, that this virus wasn't as generally deadly as perhaps it could have been.
0: I think about this all the time about how this particular pandemic, coronavirus, COVID 19, started in 2020 and not like let's say 1800s of course I realize there have been other pandemics many many years ago but this particular one the coronavirus where it is devastating populations because as a society we're having too many social connections like it's something kind of out of a like sci-fi horror movie really and I think about this and I think, you know, of course, a lot of life was lost during this, but could it have been potentially worse if we weren't in 2020 with the advancements in healthcare that we have in the technology that we use? I don't know. None of us are going to know this answer. But not only that, of course, mental health has been on the rise during COVID. And I think some things that helped. People's mental health because I know it helped mine because I'm a very social person and not being able to get out of my house and see people was really hard for me. And one thing that I did enjoy was, of course, the invention of video. Yes, it's been around for quite a while, but not many people used Zoom or used video calls. And now, like, everyone uses it. I actually feel like even though restrictions are lifting, I see more people on Zoom than I do in real life. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I, I find myself thinking a lot about you when know, we were teenagers and, you know, the, the internet was becoming more more mainstream right like the internet was before for like really for a small group of people but then by the mid 90s it was really starting to pick up stream and everybody was having an internet at home or there was internet at schools and you know the the talk at the time was you know oh everybody's going to be into astronomy and astrophysics and uh you know the, they're going to be learning about you know history and all this kind of stuff and the people saying that were the people that developed these technologies that were educated people and they were interested in these things the reality is the internet is is unfortunately become the ultimate grapevine the ultimate water cooler the gossip pit and there's a lot of deep need for uh, not just regulations or perhaps uh, i mean i i think there's you know i guess some debate to have in there but you know when we talk about what roles and responsibilities tech companies even like mine have Uh, when they put products out into the world as to how uh, some of the unintended consequences can impact uh, real people. And we need to think about this uh, in a great way. And conversely, you know, right now, like focusing on healthcare for a second, we, the other challenge that a lot of my colleagues and and a lot of the folks that we work with uh, are very concerned about is that we have a disease care focus and not a healthcare focus and this has also had a great impact on uh, our virus response. We wait until people are symptomatic. We wait until people are actually sick and in need of a, uh, a direct intervention and prevention. Is of course the the best healthcare delivery. If you, you can prevent people from getting sick, that is that should be the objective. And so we didn't do that in this case. It was something that hasn't been built into our our culture and approach on health healthcare. It needs to change. It's certainly what we try to do with HealthTab and our work with pharmacists and providing more early detection and screening and early intervention. Uh, but this, this is inclusive of things like viruses and, and major problems like COVID-19 is presented, where we can't wait for it to be filling our hospitals. We need to be investing in years ahead. And I hope we make those investments in technologies like HealthTab and, and other technologies that are going to be left in place as permanent solutions for testing and screening and observation to make sure that we don't end up here again.
0: And we all hope we don't end up here again. Uh, And if we could avoid it or learn from the situation and figure out different ways that we can prevent it in the future, uh, I'm all for it. And I'm sure everybody's all for that as well. And uh, all we got to do is just learn from what has happened and see how we can fix it in the future if we can. One other thing that I wanted to ask, and I know it's a hard question to answer sometimes, but uh, because again, none of us know the future. If we did, we'd all be rich or we would have saw the pandemic coming. But what is your hope for Avricor in the post-pandemic world, if you have one?
1: Oh, post-pandemic? No, I have a pretty clear mind's eye on what our hope is. I mean, we think that we will have a global network of pharmacies, that we will be serving people in communities around the world, empowering pharmacists to deliver life-saving early detection and screening services, empowering people with their information about their health so they can avoid more uh, acute healthcare uh, challenges, like from diabetes in particular, but also heart disease, kidney disease, and and others that are silent, but deadly uh, things within our community. We take them for granted, and there's such a high prevalence that uh, within our communities today and and many communities around the world, and these issues are solvable. It's solvable through early detection and screening, and we uh, envision ourselves being at the forefront of this, and uh, I think we're gonna have really exciting growth and uh, an amazing couple of years. I'm really looking forward to the world rebuilding post-pandemic, but you know I hope that we rebuild it better, we learn from the past, and uh, we build the infrastructure that we need to uh, avoid this in the future.
0: Exactly my thoughts, Hector. Hopefully we never have to go through anything like this ever again. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if that's a, a realistic point of view, to be honest. But we won't know, and that's not being pessimistic. I just think we just don't know what the future is gonna hold. Not to sound cliche, but we really don't. And all we can do is hope for the best. And there weren't all negative things that came out of COVID nineteen. There were some positives too, like people spending more time with their family members, people spending more time with their close friends, uh, just learning to be where they live and explore their backyard and just learn what it's like to not be rushing all the time in life. So, you know, there's some good things that came out of it. And there's a lot of bad things too. Let's be honest, that came out of COVID as well. But all we can do is move forward and hope for the best. Thank you so much, Hector, for joining me today. And we're going to talk with you next time.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: That was another episode of Coping 19. For more information about the show, head on over to podcastconsulting.ca, where the show lives. And of course, you can find us on Spotify through that website, as well as Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, and the list goes on. If you want more information on how to create your own podcast or a podcast for your business to get more brand exposure, all that information is on the website podcastconsulting.ca. Or maybe you want to be a guest on season two of Coping 19, feel free to head on over to the site and contact me, Jennifer Lee. Looking forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now.